Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. psyched. I always say that, but we are super psyched to tackle a topic that I am freakishly into, and that is negotiation, aka negotiating your salary in particular. Obviously, there are lots of ways to negotiate and lots of things to negotiate that we always are negotiating in life. But today, we want to talk through some of the ways in which some of the mistakes, actually, that women in particular can fall into when experiencing or, or engaging in salary negotiation. And this is a topic that I've been obsessed with for years now. Having been a political operative like you be, I feel like one of the prerequisites for being in the campaign world is being very comfortable bouncing from one job to the next. Definitely. Because there's just so much career mobility, which freaks some people out, but also becomes a skill set in and of itself. Right. Landing jobs, negotiating salaries, different contractual arrangements, et cetera. So I became very quickly interested in the topic and then in launching Bossed Up, really obsessed with how negotiation really does differ uh, for women versus men, for those who present as women versus men. The, the societal sort of assumptions that are coming to the table on this topic are really, really different. And so when Bridget and I were talking about putting this together, we thought, oh my gosh, negotiation is just too big of a topic. How are we going to focus on one episode on everything there is out there about negotiation? And we said, well, here are all the mistakes I've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, for me, especially it's a long list. It's yeah. not a short list. I know. And even that, that narrowing alone is still going to make this probably a long episode. Yes. But we figured, why don't we tackle just some of the major trouble spots? Because you know there's a ton of negotiation information out there. But for today's episode, we want to focus on the state of women in negotiation in America in particular, but in, in 2017, and some of the mistakes to avoid, some of those red flags to watch out for. But first, we want to acknowledge that the old adage that women don't negotiate, women don't ask, 
is no longer that accurate. So you've probably heard over and over again that men negotiate much more often than women. And still in, in many circumstances, that is true. When it comes to new job offers, you know, women or men who are in the inter- interview process and are given a job opportunity or a job offer, men are still much more likely to negotiate than women. In fact, um, Hannah Riley Bowles writes in the Harvard Business Review that research shows uh, what in one study recently that graduating MBA students, uh, half of the men had negotiated their job offer as compared to only one eighth of the women. Mm. So the new job offers are still overwhelmingly negotiated by men and not so negotiated by women. But when it comes to asking for a raise or a promotion within the confines of an existing organization, women are asking. I believed for a long time that it's just that women aren't asking, but they are. They are. And unfortunately, in that same breath, that research found that, uh, and this is the headline from Fortune magazine by Laura Cohn, women ask for raises as much as men do, but get them less often. So the University of Warwick, uh, the Cass Business School in London there, found that women were 25% less likely than men to get a hike in pay when they asked for it. Oh, that's so depressing. It is. So it's, de- it's depressing to me because even when... So one, I think we are taught to victim blame in a kind of way and say, oh, they're not asking for it. That's why they're not getting it, which is clearly not true. But when we do ask, we don't get it. And that's so frustrating to me. Um, I, it's funny that you mentioned before that being a political operative kind of, kind of is what got you fired up about negotiation. That was such a challenge for me. I've, I've had a million different gigs in my life, short term, long term, um, in politics and I'm a, I'm, I dread negotiation <laughs> in such a serious and intense way. Um, for the longest time, this is so embarrassing. I didn't even know you were, oh God, I even, I'm embarrassed saying this. It's okay. I didn't even know you were supposed to do or allowed to do that. Um, that's the first time that someone was like, Oh, did you ask for more money? I thought, what? I didn't, it did not occur to me. Um, and I had a really sad situation where I was offered what would have been a, a dream job. Um, and when I got the offer letter, it was barely more than I was making at my other job. Mm. And so, um, you walked away. And so I, I, I didn't know that you, that that was a jumping off point. So I just said, Oh, I can't take it. And then I said, No. And I never, I, and it wasn't until years <gasps> oh. later that I thought, Oh, wait, Bummer. that was a jumping off point. I could have oh. asked for more. It would have been fine. Bummer. So yeah, this is an important topic. <laughs> this is such an important topic. And I hope this framework, um, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you're so negative. I hope y'all know that sometimes it's okay to be negative. Like, we're going to talk about this in a framework that says, here are some mistakes. Don't make them. You know, here are the mistakes we've made. You don't have to. And I actually feel very positively about negotiation. And I know for a fact that makes me a freak. Okay? (laughs) So just know that if you want to geek out about negotiation with me, y'all are welcome to any time. But 99% of the population feels the same way you do, Bridget. Stressed out. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable and awkward. It's combative. It's a minefield. I'm like, bring it on. I I recently... um, Brad and I are closing on a house. That's right. And I don't know, it's like still a work in progress, but I was in charge of negotiations. Brad's in charge of renovations. <laughs> and, um, and I was, we just met with the agent who's brokering the deal and he told us it was the hottest open house in the entire metro area the weekend that we got it. And when we were asking him, like, why did you go with us? Because there were other people we were in a bidding war with. He said, the way you spoke on the phone to me, Emily, gave me really good vibes. And I like to work with people 
who I feel that way with. And, you know, I think you guys deserve this house because of that. And I was in, I were first time home buyers trying to do a major flip, you know, and they, we were competing with major flipping, like home flipping companies. Wow. And we got the bid. So the way you talk to people, the way you handle negotiation situation truly matters. And while the data can be seen as depressing, get put on your psychology hats, y'all, because if you can hack into the psychological factors that go into negotiation, you can set yourself up to capitalize on right. them. And it's not a it's not a fair world out there. Everybody's experience is very different with this. But I just want you to know that it is a skill you can develop and get better at. Yeah. It's not like a oh, I'm sucky at this, I'll never get better. Like, it is something you can get much better at. That's part of one of the reasons why I appreciate that we frame this episode in terms of, of what not to do. Um, I am someone who, as I said, I hate <laughs> negotiation. It's so many things that are not, that, yeah. so many things I don't seek out. Um, and it's good to feel as though it's not just I'm doomed to be bad at it forever, that you can get better, it's a skill, you can grease the wheels, you can... It's like a muscle. You can flex it and exactly. exercise and exactly. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, obviously we shouldn't have to, as women, contort ourselves to get treated fairly. We shouldn't have to, uh, you know, speak differently, smile differently, all the things we're about to share with you. We shouldn't have to adapt to our biased world. And that goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that women should not have to do verbal jujitsu to be treated fairly and equally like men are in this equation. But here's the reality, y'all. We live in a biased world full of human beings who bring their own bias to the table when when exchanging ideas. So if you know the unconscious bias that goes into this, I actually find it empowering because then you can be strategic with the choices you are making. Right. We're not saying this is... Just like when we were talking about policing women's speech, this is not to say that here's the right way to talk or here's the wrong way to talk. We're not here to say here's the right way to negotiate, here's the wrong way to negotiate. We're here to give you some tools to have in your toolbox and to give it a shot and see how it works for you. And options. It's always good to have options. Choices, yes. Bingo. So shall we dive in? Let's dive in. Okay. There's this first mistake that is literally the first time that salary typically comes up for people in the job market, and everyone freaks out about it, and I get this question all the time at Boss Up, which is, how do I deal with the the blank spot on the form, that application you might be filling out through monster.com or whatever, that asks about salary requirements or salary history? How do I deal with that? Have you ever seen this? I've seen it so many times. I always freak out. I'm, I'm, you know, I never know what to put. Yeah. And that's the common question is like, what the hell do I put there that doesn't put me in a weak position? And here's the reality. If you were to walk into Nordstrom's and say, or let's, let's actually do a store we actually walk into. <laughs> um, Target? Yeah. There we go. If you were to walk into Target and say, Oh my God, I love those shoes. Bring them to the cash register and want to take them home with you. You wouldn't expect them at the cash register to say, well, how much would you pay for these shoes? Absolutely not. That would be ridiculous. Right. When you're shopping for a job, the same reality is true. It has become normal for them to ask you, the job seeker, what you think you should make, when in reality, they're hiring for, I don't know, a marketing associate. Right. How much do they value the work of a marketing associate? It's on them to name yeah. their price. And it's, it, that's so absurd to me because it puts the onus on you to tell them what you think your value is. And really, it should be about what you, as if you're a marketing associate, you want to know what number your company puts that, like, yeah. that should be on them to tell you. Yes. And in fact, many states 
agree with you vehemently, Bridget, in that they are outlawing the use of that question. They're outlawing the common practice of employers asking people what their salary history is or what their salary requirements are because of that reason. And because by doing so, what we're actually all doing is perpetuating uh, historical wage inequality. Definitely. So the, we know that women still get paid less, especially moms, as we discovered in the mommy tax episode. Moms get discriminated against tremendously for doing the same work. So if we want equal pay for equal work and we're not willing to pass a law that actually mandates that, which, which we should, we should and has not happened, then at least what we can do is make it harder for people to to perpetuate those unconscious biases and those wage inequalities that already persist and already exist. Right. I used to have a little bit of um, anxiety around that. Um, the last job that I had, the last full-time job that I had, I was making more money than I've ever made in my life and was so happy about it. And in my mind, I thought, I, I saw that as a, a, a like a keys to the kingdom of like, now that I've made above a certain number, I can never make, I'll never, never make, make less, less than that again. And yeah. I totally had a, had a wrong understanding right. of, of that. So I was really excited to be like, well, I make, I made this at my last job yeah. because I thought it meant I would always be paid more than that. Right. And that's not how it works. Well, to be fair, right. That's not, right. That's not a guarantee, right. I would say. Although that's not saying that you're making less now, is it? It is not. <laughs> But I, I, I want to also acknowledge just that Massachusetts was the first state to pass a law making that illegal. So yeah. it makes it illegal for the employer to demand a salary history and answer from you or to even ask about it in the interview process. Wow. New York recently passed a law in that regard as well. And um, it's being brought up in other states like California on the state legislature level. But I'm really thrilled to be and I'm really proud of our... D.C. Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton here in D.C., she actually introduced a law in Congress, the United States Congress, to ban it across the country, to wow. ban employers from asking this. And I'm also proud as a, an original from Connecticut, as a nutmeg nutmeg stater, that um, the one and only Representative Rosa DeLauro and New York State's uh, Jared Nadler are co-sponsors on this legislation. Nice. So it should be outlawed because it's BS, and it's saying that your worth is determined by what some former employer right. thought it and was worth. And it's not the way it should work. Not the way it should work. I've been really fascinated to see this sort of push happening, and, and, and maybe it's happening in other industries too, but in the progressive politics sphere, this push for demand... like. People are asking for employers to put right on the job description the salary, and right. they I've seen and they should. I've they seen should. a lot of pushback when um, they don't oh say that. And at a certain point, I get that you want to keep it kind of open, but you almost don't want to waste someone's time if if the if the range that you're offering is exactly. just not what they need. Exactly, and that's that's why the first mistake for negotiating is to name your salaries to list the number first. You want to set it up knowing that the employer has interest in you naming your salary first. You want to make sure that they are the ones to name the number first and like you were just saying that you're not wasting each other's time. So here's how to do it. This is a, a sort of like a stop, drop and roll um, <laughs> component of negotiation. So here's how to decline answering that question before a solid offer has been made. So say you're interviewing, you love the job, you're, you desperately want them to make an offer to you. And they ask you in the interview, so Bridget, what are your salary requirements? And you're like, uh, I know naming a number right now is the worst possible thing I can do, but how do I get out of this? Without being a jerk. Well, here's, here's how to do it. And this is from, this is advice from one of my board members, Alyn Powell, who is the, um, 
she works in higher ed in the career center. She was used to be at Georgetown. Now she's at UMD and she's amazing. She said, she told me one, that to, to break it down to this three step strategy, one, flatly and pleasantly as possible, deny answering the question. So you might say, you know what? It's too, too early, Bridget, to talk numbers oh, right now. That's a good way to get out of it. You know, you can just say, you know, I'm not ready to talk about numbers just yet, or I'm not comfortable, you know, talking numbers right now. And then step two is, assuage that underlying anxiety of, are you just wasting my time here? So you might say something like, I'm sure if everything else falls into place, salary won't be an issue. Oh, that's a great, that's such a like diplomatic way to get out yeah, of that question. which is what I love about this. It's really linguistics and psychology coming together. So you, you, so just to review step one, it's too early to talk numbers, but step two I'm sure everything else will work out and I'm sure we can find an amenable agreement for both of us if this does move forward. And then step three is get off the topic, roll out of this thing by asking (laughs) an open-ended question. So it might be, you know, Bridget, it's too early to talk numbers. I'm sure if everything else falls into place, salary won't be an issue. Can you tell me more about what you're looking for in this position? Mm. Or can you tell me more about what success would look like in the first six months? Can you tell me more about how um, promotion and uh, advancement works in your company now. So you make an open-ended question that'll get them talking again, but moves you off of the topic. I like that so much. That's no. a great way to handle it. And it doesn't have to be, I say this as an anxious person, it doesn't have to be a heavy, anxious thing where you're like, oh God, oh God, oh God. You it know? is though, it so can, is. It, yeah. it is, but you can Practice use it. these tools to sort of navigate it so it doesn't feel so heavy and anxiety provoking. Yeah. And you know what it comes down to is preparation. If you want to feel less anxious doing that, say those three sentences over and over again before your interview and you will have it down pat. You'll practice it. It's kind of like memorizing some lines and you just need those two lines really. And then you can come up with whatever question makes sense, but practice stop, drop and roll. You got to get off the topic, you know, flatly refuse as pleasantly as possible. Make sure they feel like you're not wasting their time. Reassure them a little bit that you're there because you're really taking this seriously. And then get off the topic. 99% of the time, unless they're a total sociopath on the other end of the conversation, they're not going to drag you back to the topic over and over and over again. But if they do, rinse and repeat. Just use that strategy to, to do everything in your power to refuse to answer the question. And you know who does that brilliantly? Talking heads on cable TV news. Oh, yes. That's something we... As someone who took training to become a yeah. talking head, a pundit, they are all about, you know, pivot. if you have, a, if you get stuck on a question you don't want to answer or can't answer, it's got to pivot, ask or answer a completely different question. They might not know the difference. Exactly. <laughs> so pivot away. Do not let them force you to answer it. And the same is true for the form. If you have a form to fill out and you cannot submit your application until you fill out that blanking cursor box about salary requirements, put zeros in there, put negotiable in there, put TBD, put, you know, open to conversation. Do not answer Mm. that question because the onus falls on them to tell you what they're willing to pay for the position. And you don't want to cut yourself short. You don't want to lowball yourself. Right. So... You know, you obviously also don't want to just be getting jobs that way. So if you're only applying for jobs through monster.com, we've got a bigger problem to, to solve there. So, so just remember, you do not actually have to answer that question. Many states and maybe our country will deem that illegal soon anyway. So, so that little time period of 30 seconds of awkward is going to be worth $10,000 more a year. Totally. Um, I'm happy to see that legislation is catching up with this issue and we're, we're getting somewhere on it because I, I think, yeah, this, this 
I just have made so many negotiation mistakes and I'm thrilled to see other people not making, make those same mistakes. Um, I still remember the first time I ever negotiated for a job and it, the only reason I did is because a friend of mine, we had very, we had very comparable education and skill level backgrounds. We, we had been on the same campaign. We were both hired at the same place and he was offered $10,000 <gasps> more than me. And I thought, I am just as qualified as him. There's no reason I should be making that much less. And if, if he had not told me that information, I would have never asked for more. Right. And it was because I didn't know how much, how much they valued the position I was being hired for. I didn't have any sense of that. Um, and so that's the only reason I did. And I, and I got it. That's awesome. Snaps to yeah, you. Snaps and-, and that's an argument for pay transparency yeah. too and talking about your salary. Totally. So. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk through some of the common mistakes that we can all avoid to get paid, to get the money. Get your paper. (laughs) We'll be right back after a quick break. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. And we're back. And another way that I have tripped up in negotiation, and you were sharing that you you had an experience like this as well, Definitely, right? Definitely, yeah. Is sending in my counter offer via email. And that happened to me once because oftentimes when you get an offer and the process of negotiation, as a reminder, only begins once an offer has been made. So let's keep that in mind. But those offers typically come in over the phone, don't they? They t- Or maybe email I've sometimes. I've had some email, yeah. Okay. I've had a mix of both. So, so more often, I've heard that people get a phone call, we'd love to offer you the job. And you're like, 
great. <laughs> Does that mean you've accepted it right away? You know, you want to be able to deliver that counter offer after you've had a little bit of time to prepare. Um, so you might want to say, thank you so much for this offer. Express gratitude. I'm so excited about this. As you can imagine, this is a big, big decision that I, I want to take really seriously. So I'd love until Friday to get back to you. Can we set up a time to talk Friday afternoon? So then you've bought yourself some time. But in the past, I've used that time to write the world's most complex and very many bullet pointed emails as my counter offer <laughs> to which people are like, OMG, no, there are so much, like, there's like such a long laundry right, right. list in there. It just does not go over yeah, so well. People don't like getting laundry list, like, like a list of demands. Um, I have done the same. I don't think I realized it was something you shouldn't do until this very moment. Um, I hate negotiation so much. If I can do it over email, that somehow feels less awkward to me. Definitely. And that's a mistake. <laughs> well, it's so common though. It's yeah. a crutch. It is a, cr- it's a completely a crutch. Like I would much rather list what I feel like I need in an email. Somehow that's easier for me than saying it face to face or over the phone. Well, it's, it's more, it feels more controlled. Yeah. It feels like you have more control. But here's the fallacy behind that, y'all. When you do not have body language or at least when you're using a phone call, vocal tone mm-hmm. on your side, you can't actually adjust your tone or you don't know if the person on the other end of the phone is having their worst possible day. You just, you have less information. And when you receive a very brief assertive email, you think, oh my gosh, that person is a total nut job or a yeah, jerk. You, I, I can't even say the B word I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about how how it plays on social media. It's so easy to misread things. You think someone's being sarcastic. You think someone's exactly. being mean or pushy. In an email, it's I'm sure I have come off as different than I actually mean things in right. email because I'm doing it in email. Right. And it's, it's a medium that doesn't allow for expressions of vocal tone, whatever. Yes. Um, and so it really isn't the medium to be like no. negotiating it it's at a, all. It's a minefield. You'll have too many exclamation marks, not enough exclamation marks. You'll be seen as curt or it's just, it's a real challenging uh, way to be seen in a negative light as assertive. And this is an assertive communication. Right. Asking for more is a very assertive thing to do. And we all know that women who are seen as more assertive are seen as less likable. So you have to sort of counteract the assertiveness with pleasant tone and body language. Right. That's where that smile advice comes from, which we'll talk through. Yeah. So, you know, knowing all that, and we're going to talk more about, you know, how to be pleasant, even though you're being assertive, but knowing that email is such a easily misconstrued medium, just keep in mind that your bullet-pointed list is definitely an important thing to have. You want to have a list of priorities, but you want to daisy-chain them. You want to ask for one thing at a time. And that's why a, a live conversation is so much easier to to be a two-way dialogue. Right. So you can respond to the yes or the no that you're getting and not necessarily have, you know, nobody wants to be on the receiving end of a long list of demands. It makes you look really high maintenance. And there was this story that went viral in The New Yorker because it came out in relative close proximity to Lean In. Mm. And everyone was sort of reacting. The anti-lean-in sort of wave had hit in full force. And the um, the title of the article is Lean Out, The Dangers for Women Who Negotiate. And it was so hyperbolic. I, I really hated the point of this piece, which was a very qualified and talented woman was offered a higher job or a, a job in higher education. She counter-offered via email made a list of demands, and the offer was revoked. That's awful. Which is the biggest nightmare a fear of everyone right. who's negotiating, right? To me, the conclusion that they drew was an incorrect one. The conclusion was, 
women who negotiate don't, you know, don't get treated fairly, which is true. But the, the conclusion that I think is more productive is women who negotiate via email are much more likely to be seen as pushy and right. not right for the job anymore. So that's what happened to me. I sent out a, a counter offer via email and I got the job offer revoked. And two things I learned from that. One, this is not an employer I actually want to work for. It actually wasn't. Bridget knows because <laughs> she ended up working for them. And two, you know, don't do yourself a disservice of of trying to counter offer via email. It might feel safer to you, but you're way better off practicing with a partner in real right. time, asking for that phone call a couple days later, going in with your bullet point list. But that's a list that you work from in real time through a conversation. Just out of curiosity, um, because I've asked my father, who is my big negotiation coach, because he's very good at negotiation. <laughs> he's all, he always says, no one's ever going to take away a job offer. That rarely ever happens. And it does seem it like... It is rare. What, what was the... It's illegal in some ways. What was the uh, conversation around it when it happened with you? Are they just Did they just say, no, this, well, here's this what list was doesn't work? They were being sketchy. They were hiring for a contract position, which all my HR law folks listening can correct me here if I get this completely wrong. Because Not completely wrong. I know it's pretty right, but I'm not a lawyer. When you're hiring for a contractor, a non-W-2 employee, you are not allowed to tell them when to work or how to work. You're allowed... It's like a consulting hire. So you're allowed to say, this is what we need you to deliver on. Mm -hmm. But you're not allowed to say, you need to come into the office Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. You know, it's very much illegal to treat your contractors like full-time employees. So first of all, if you're in that situation... So many women are. Yes. So many people are. It's total Uh, BS. I might know a few. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's something that employers are violating all the time. So especially with um, our episode on the gig economy, Mm -hmm. gig economy workers are contractors. So you are allowed to dictate your own schedule. That's That's supposedly the benefit. If you're not, then you've got a problem. So when they were hiring for this position, they were hiring for a full-time position. And I assumed that meant W-2. Through the interview, it became clear that we were talking about a contractor position. When they called to make the offer, that's what they were offering me. And I needed to gain clarity on how much time they were going to compensate me for. Because it was not clear to me that um, they weren't going to treat me like a full-time staff member. They actually said, we need you to be on call all the time. Sometimes things are fast. And the way it was phrased was... We're looking for people who really care about these issues and really are devoted to uh, to making progress <sighs> happen. And I was like, I, that, <laughs> uh, that boils my blood. I'm so you know angry. I'm this is like the yeah, nonprofit so industrial angry. complex that exists in DC, especially. So I, I bounced back with my long ass bullet pointed email saying, you know, what's the hourly rate that we're talking about here? How many hours a week are you asking of me? Can I work for someone else at the same time? Because it sounds like you no. Know, but you're hiring me as a contractor. And it was clear to me that I was very displeased with their offer. And clearly that came through. And I was trying to be nice. So when I'm trying to be nice via email, but doing something very assertive, I'm talking like paragraphs (laughs) after paragraphs after paragraphs. They called me up and were like, we've decided to go in a different direction. (gasps) So they took it from email to calling you? Well, because, correct me if I'm wrong, HR attorneys, but if people make a job offer and then rescind it, they open themselves up. Employers open themselves up to liability. The liability meaning you might say you rescinded this job offer because I am a woman or differently right. abled or black or whatever. So they have to come up with a um, 
a sort of documented reason for the refusal. So it's much easier if there's no paper trail for oh, employers. That's so shady. What's funny is that I actually ended up working for, I basically took, because I'm a terrible negotiator, I basically took that exact, exact I, job. identical job and it was hell. It was hell on earth. Yeah. And I hated I'm really glad I dodged that bullet. <laughs> you I, definitely I did. I was babysitting at the time and I thought I was never ever going to be employed ever again in a, in a stable way. And guess what? I was. So it was okay. The other thing to note on that is when you are given a job offer, it's really helpful to get that offer in writing. Mm. So one of the other ways, when you, you get that phone call, you ask to buy yourself some time, you try to create a time for a live negotiation conversation, ask, when can I see these details of the offer in written form? Or when can I see the full offer package? Can you tell me more about the um, the benefits that are included in this? And can you provide this in writing so I have time to look it over? It's a lot harder for them to rescind an offer that's been delivered in writing. So basically what we're saying is, String them along until you can get a paper trail, essentially, so yes. that you have some documentation. Exactly. And that goes so into some of the other topics that you've done around employment issues, like coming out at work. It's a lot easier to have a, a, a offer on hand before yes. you reveal something about yourself that might, you know, m- make them, if they're horrible, make them change their mind. Yeah, or just um, document it. Or, Didn't Comey document the discussions yes. with his boss? Oh my goodness. And just writing yourself a memo can go a very long way, y'all. Oh lordy, I so, hope there's tape. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, and then, you know, the same thing that you were just talking about, uh, motherhood, you know, wet, like being a little bit choosy and intentional about when you reveal these things. And that that's so sad for me. That's Life is not fair and it's sad that we have to Hide things. Yeah, hold our cards to our chest, but this is just a a a way to Here's how to do it, y'all. Yeah, if you need to do it, you need to do it. I like specializing in the tap dance. Like (laughs) here's how to dance that tap dance because it's worth it, because the world is not a cool place all the time. So dance away, because you are worth the effort of, you know, I don't want to say manipulating people, but manipulating people. (laughs) You know? Like you have to to watch out for yourself sometimes. So when you're having that live conversation, how should women go about navigating the minefield that is like vocal tone and and body language and all that jazz? It can be tough. Um, one tip is nervous. Don't be nervous with your negotiation. Uh, I'm a, I, again, I've said this a hundred times, hate negotiation would definitely be projecting nervousness, but nervousness, when you negotiate nervous, it, it reads as anger. So people don't, aren't reading it as, trepidation or you're anxious in a situation that is a little awkward. Right. People read it as anger and surprisingly, no one really, uh, <laughs> anger works for men in negotiation. It does not work for women. And so if you, um, you know, if you come off as seeming angry while you're negotiating in person or over the phone, that is not going to work for you, even though it works for men. Yeah, it's a really weird wrinkle in the research around this. But what researchers found is that compared to expressions of anger by men, which are seen as passionate, and he's just real worked up about this. He really cares a lot. I can almost envision every male politician ever pounding their fist on a podium somewhere saying, this is wrong, right? But they found that compared to expressions of anger by men, expressions of anger by women are associated with less positive organizational outcomes, meaning... Mm -hmm. They won't see you as impassioned. They won't see your nervousness as cute. They will see you as crazy or a B. You know what I mean? They'll see you as, or I think they will see you as a a potential problem employee. I I imagine that with your situation in that mystery organization that we were talking about before, (laughs) um, they probably, that probably read to them as, 
this this is going to be a nightmare employee. She's high maintenance. She won't play ball. We're clearly looking for something, someone that is a team player, right? And so that probably worked against you in that way, totally. But for the best because they sucked. Well, it's funny. <laughs> yes. No, there is. You can speak from experience. <laughs> they did. I I don't want to trash anybody. I hope they're. Well, I we hope, didn't tell I them who they are. Listening. I bet our DC friends are like trying to guess which organization. I'll, I'll, I'll t- I'll, I'm happy to tell people. I just won't do it on the air. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> let's see. What was I going to say? Oh, anger. So a lot of the women I work with, even like my one-on-one peeps who I'm preparing for negotiation, when they get nervous, their faces drop. And so they go like this deer in the headlights look looks really stone-faced sometimes. Mm. Like, the frown comes out, but it's not a frown because they're angry. They're just scared, and it's a nerve-wracking conversation, and it's tense. So the research clearly points to a benefit for women who are persistently pleasant. And it's complicated, because if you're smiling while receiving or delivering bad news, nobody likes that. Yeah. Well, I've got some constructive criticism for Uh. you. You know, like, (laughs) nobody likes that. No, but that's bad. But... It's about being oriented towards problem solving and community benefit. So women should go in, instead of being angry looking, should go in focused on, I'm really, I'm down to like figure this out together. I'm not, I'm not saying you should say like in the middle of that phrase, y'all, but you get what I'm trying to say here. You should go in ready to problem solve and come to the table with your counter offer but be open to collaboration right. and coming to an agreement together. I love that advice. I once saw a, a wonderful, um, I wish I could remember her name, but a wonderful speaker um, at Google. And she basically said that one of the ways that she used, and she's a woman of color, um, one of the ways that she used um, being a woman of color sort of as a, as a negotiation benefit was by playing on traits that people associate with women of color and kind of flipping them around. So she says, if I'm coming off as assertive, it's because I'm really excited to work on this with you. If I'm coming off as um, pushy, it's because I'm so excited to to problem solve this and work through this together. And really, like, using the all of the baggage that comes with being women who are negotiating and talking and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. using them to help her own Exactly. What she's doing there is she's leading with her intent, Mm. which is a huge part of the research on assertive communication in general for women, which is if you're about to pound the table, make sure you explain why first. And the other thing is, you know, black women have a a twice as hard of a climb here because being seen as the angry black woman is really, it plays on a media trope, right? right? It plays on this preconceived notion. So just watch and practice with yourself in the mirror. Watch your facial expressions and know what nervous looks like for you. Right. If you look angry, that is not going to help your cause. Nervous can look like anger. It can look like upset. It can look like, you know, maybe you have resting bee face, right? <laughs> All of those things. Or and, maybe they're actually lowballing you. Right. And, and you're actually and you're angry. You angry. <laughs> and that's okay, <laughs> too. I mean, I, I yeah, we, I, not to say that you should never be angry in these conversations because if you are angry, if you're being, you know, if you're being lowballed or not being you know, being offered something that's offensive, it's okay to be angry. Righteous indignation makes (laughs) sense here, y'all. Clearly, we are angry on this podcast a lot, and I make no apologies for that. However, when I'm trying to get you to give me your money, Mm. I'm going to be pleasant. And that means leading with gratitude, showing appreciation at the top of every one of those conversations, and then ending with, I'm so excited to join this great team. I think we're going to do a lot together. You know, using we instead of I. So, there's lots of verb- verbal and vernacular tips and tricks we could throw in, but this would be a never-ending podcast. Uh, I think just 
avoiding the anger trap is a good takeaway here. Should we take a break before we dive into more? Okay, we'll be right back after a word from our great sponsors, who we love, who give us their money. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back, and we are excited to talk through some of these negotiation crosshairs, tripwires, mistakes, whatever you want to call it. Minds in the minefield, whatever, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Um, So one thing to note is that when it comes to your salary, it's easy to think that just the money that you're getting paid is all you have to negotiate, but really everything is negotiable. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, only about 70% of an employee's total compensation is actually their salary. Right. So think about all the different things that that leaves on the table to, to negotiate about. Um, vacation, 401k matching, reimbursements for travel and professional development and conferences, um, wellness programs, commuter perks, all of that. So all, all those of those things, yeah, too. all of those things yeah. are up on, up on the table to be dealt with and negotiated around. Um, and I remember once I was supposed to be, um, giving a lecture at a university and they couldn't pay me. And I was talking to a friend and I was right. like, oh, it sucks. I, I really want to do this, but I want to get paid. And she said, you know, there are other ways they can compensate you other than giving you money. And she said, maybe there's someone who you would like to be able to offer an invite to this conference to go to for free. Can they offer you a, a couple comp tickets to give to people that would benefit? And I thought, oh, yeah. There are so many other ways to get compensated for things yes. that aren't just money. Um, so keeping that in mind is really important. And uh, knowing your own priority list. So when you prepare for that counter offer, you know, you've got the bullet pointed list. Keep in mind what your first priority is. And I, I always say, like, if the money is not as good as it can be, like, find out, you right. know? So counter offer with whatever your number one priority is. But if you get an offer that is so incredibly high paid that you're, you can't fathom asking for more on that front, or let's say you're in a government job where the GS scale 
is dictating your salary. Um, there are lots of other considerations that you can push back on. And so if flexibility is important mm. to you, be very crystal clear about what you're asking for. Right. Don't lead with what you're complaining about or worried about. Lead with what you want. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah, because so, it has that yeah. has that positive, like starting with the positive. Yes, you know? and nobody can actually tell you what you want except you. So don't make the employer do the guesswork. Yeah, don't say I'm really worried about the possibility of eighty hour weeks here. Say I'd like to be compensated for overtime for anything above fifty hours a week. Right. You know, just or say I'd like my hours to be capped so that on Thursdays I can work from home. Right, or my commuter you know, rail passes are paid for or that I get a free gym membership, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I should, we should say that this is really only for full-time W-2 employees. This mm-hmm. stuff doesn't fly when you're a contractor. Right. Well, that's where the benefits package is nil yeah. <laughs> or null, you know, Nothing. not applicable. <laughs> However, I would say being a professional speaker, getting a speaker fee is a contractor employee. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, your example was perfect by saying there are still ways to be compensated Additionally, beyond salary, even if you are a contracted employee, right. a gig economy worker. Sweet. Well, here's one other mistake I see a lot of women making. And this one's a controversial one. Like most things, I hold strong opinions on it. But, uh, but here, tell me what y'all think. I think another mistake is to say, and if someone raises their hand every time I give a workshop on negotiation and says this, listen, negotiation is not applicable in my field. And they go on to say, I work in the sciences where all of my research funding is grant-based, or I work in education and all of our salaries are fixed and saying, I can't negotiate. This doesn't apply to me. And sort of throwing up your hands and saying, it's not fair. And I find that to be self-defeating for obvious reasons, I think, because you're not going to negotiate if you think you can't negotiate. But I also want to push back and say, do not expect your employer to roll out the red carpet for you when it comes to negotiation. I know that sounds harsh, but you as the individual applying for the job have to often, more often than not, initiate the negotiation conversation. Right. Um, I've definitely, I'm one of those people that would raise my hand in that, <laughs> in that scenario and ask that. Um, I think I've mentioned on the show before that I got my start professionally as a teacher. And when you're a teacher, your salary is like there is no room. I mean, I I don't <laughs> I don't know how I would have negotiated this because there wasn't room to negotiate. Your salary was totally based on your educational history. So you get a piece of paper that says if you have a BA, your salary is this. If you have an MA, your salary is this. And that's it. Like there's right. not another. There's right. no wiggle room. Okay. Well, let me give you a counter example, if I may. Do it. Um. So my friend Amanda was working in. I think it was like an NGO organization that. Uh, worked off of the GS pay scale, which I think stands for government scale or government salary, salary, something like that, whereby they normalize exactly who gets paid for what, similarly to your example. But what she realized in looking much closer at the GS scale, because oftentimes people aren't really reading that fine print, and then you get busy doing your job instead of doing the job of getting the job or making sure that they're paying you properly for the job, all that meta work. <laughs> Uh, and what she found when she looked into it is that she was actually doing the work of someone on two rungs up that scale. Oh, wow. So she went back to them and said, hey, we need to talk about my compensation. She initiated an internal negotiation by going to HR and saying, hey, I'd love to find time to talk about uh, my future at the company. You know, and she positioned it that way. I'd love to talk about and get your feedback on how things are going. 
and share with you some of the things that I'm considering moving forward. Again, a bold, assertive move, but it's the way to initiate a negotiation internally. In that negotiation, she laid out a very clear case for why she was being compensated two rungs below the work she was actually doing, and they agreed with her. It was like irrefutable the way that that phrasing connected to the work she was doing, and she got paid significantly more than she had been previously. That's amazing. And the same thing can be said about your educational background. So I don't have a master's degree, but I did a fellowship. And here's how that fellowship should be compensated comparably. I mean, you know? I, I am not going to, I think people should try it. I would be, sh- if, if you try, if you're a teacher <laughs> and you tried this and it worked, please let me know. You're dubious. <laughs> I'm a little dubious. I think you're rightfully dubious. But here's the thing. I would say, okay, well, if you're not going to see my education, my additional education or my additional experience, my additional training, in the same exact light as a master's degree, at least we could talk about uh, compensation for travel or reimbursement right. for professional development. I do think that when I was teaching, there did seem to be, there were some other professors who, because they had families or blah, 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 they were able to, there must have been some understanding at some phase in the negotiation process where they said, I won't work, I won't t- teach the classes that happen in the evening. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe... While they couldn't negotiate for salary because it was just, you know, either you have a master's degree or you don't. Right. Um, if they said, well, I need to be able to make it home by five on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So they just, I, I always, as, as a, as a single childless heathen, mm-hmm. I always get stuck with the worst schedule. And I can't imagine that somewhere down the line, someone was not it's, negotiating it's for that. All negotiable. Yeah. And I am a firm believer. And I know a lot of single women who say, I can't negotiate because my colleagues get to negotiate because they have kids or my colleagues get to negotiate because of their special circumstances. You've got to make the case and you might not always be successful. I get it. I get it. But. You can, it is negotiable. You can make it a priority. And if they don't meet you halfway, you can leave. Yeah. You can negotiate with someone else. Here's the thing. It is so important that we learn how to initiate negotiation because overwhelming amounts of research point to the fact that it's not, it's not that women aren't confident enough to go for a job that they're not perfectly qualified for. It's that women more often than men or more, are more likely than men to follow the rules. Mm. So a lot of times you hear, you know, men are so confident they'll apply for a job before they meet 100% of the statistics and women won't apply for a job until they meet 100%. It's about confidence. It's not about confidence. Women in those studies do that. They avoid applying for jobs they think are going to be a waste of their time because they're trying to follow the rules. We could have a whole episode around sort of work and women and kind of good girl culture and wanting to be, you know, a rule follower and, and feeling feeling like you can't break the rules because exactly. that's bad. And I'm here to give you all permission to not take the rules so seriously. People assume that hiring is more formal of a process than it actually is. Rules bend. Use your human nature and use human interaction to bend the rules in your favor and don't assume that everything is so fixed. Because even if they list this, you know, 17 bullet points as requirements for the job position or for the promotion, explore whether or not they are indeed required. So here's how to initiate a negotiation conversation, even when it's not obvious that, okay, here's your offer, now's the time for your counter offer, which 99.9% of the time will never really ever happen. One, ask for the time to talk about it. So ask for, can I look this offer over or can we talk about the future of my employment at this company next Friday. Get on their schedule. Be proactive about asking for time to talk about it. The second is to ask straight up, is this negotiable? 
can we talk about this offer? Is it, is there some flexibility here? If you really don't know, if, you, if, if they sound like they need a yes or no answer right now, you can ask them straight right. up if it's negotiable. And finally, when you're counter offering and someone says, I don't know, I mean, this is the offer. And you say, well, can we talk about 5k more a year? And they say, I'm not really, or I'm not sure. You can always say, can you look into that for me? Yeah. And again, that's another kind of very constructive, nice way to phrase it where it's not a neg, it's not negative. It's not combative. It's, just, yeah, it's, it's not just, combative. It's inquisitive. Yeah. And I think that actually makes you look like a, like a good employee. It's like, oh, this is someone who is interested in, in problem solving and finding solutions. Yeah. Can you run that up the flagpole for me? Can you check on that for me? It's much harder for them to say no. And I actually have heard from uh, a friend who negotiated for a huge increase in pay and the hiring managers thought, this is not going to happen for you. I really doubt that this increase is going to happen. And she said consistently, do you mind looking into it? Can you find out? And that even though the hiring employer or the hiring manager wasn't uh, empowered to give her or sort of sanctioned to give her that much money, when she went back and said, well, here's what this candidate wants and I know it's way more than we're going to give her, her boss said yes. So then she came back and said, you got it. You know, I'm surprised. And so she got this huge increase in pay. So even if you feel a little bit stuck, you can always ask them to look into it for you. So to really wrap up this issue, what it really comes down to, like with most things, is that we need more systemic change. People who hold power on this issue should really be um, keeping an eye out for it, paying attention. If you're a hiring manager, you should be paying attention to the different rates at which women and men are asking for different opportunities. Um, if you have the ability to, you know, close the gap on this issue, use that power. Mm. Um, and really, I think managers should be driving this larger cultural change to, to get to the place where we need to be. Yeah. And it's hard, right? Because I believe in self-interest. <laughs> I believe that, you know, people are selfish. And when your job is to save the company money or your job as an HR professional is to keep the company out of trouble, you're going to go to great lengths to make it harder for people to negotiate. And I, I understand why. I run a business. Like, I get that. But I I talk about negotiation. I have to pull teeth to get my staffers to negotiate with me. Oh. So negotiating with me must be very weird. <laughs> I can only imagine. But, you know, you have to be your own best advocate in this, y'all. Because until the world is a much more fair place and pay is much more transparent, you're the only one that can push back and be in your corner and ask for more. Um, and, and to use your best judgment when doing so. Uh, cause no one, no one can tell you what your priorities are. And I guess the last thing I think is really worth mentioning here is this advice that we hear a lot that women should always negotiate is advice that I think should be pushed back on a little bit. And I'm the biggest fan of negotiation. I think we should not be afraid to negotiate, but I also think that women know when, um, when pushing back is going to get you in trouble. Right. In a new paper in NBER, three economists and management researchers found that advising women to, quote, always negotiate might not be in their best interest. It seems women already know when negotiations won't work out in their favor. So they really, you know, sort of push back on this blanket advice. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Keep in mind that it's two people talking to people. This is not an abnormal everyday thing. You are talking to someone, you're trying to come to an agreement, use your best judgment and keep in mind where they're coming from. Use empathy to your advantage in this and 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 proceed 
when, you know, in be in your corner, but also be empathic in doing so. Yeah. And I think just remembering that these are tools in the toolbox and you know, if you're a good carpenter or whatever, you know, <laughs> when you need a hammer or when you need a nail or exactly. what have you, and just having those tools and knowing when to use them yeah. is key for, for understanding how this personally will impact right. you. But don't be the one who can't wield a hammer. Because you know you'd be I mean? a bad carpenter. Exactly. So you have to be comfortable bringing different skills and strategies to these equations. So don't avoid negotiation because you don't know how to negotiate or you don't, you're just afraid of negotiation. But use your best, you know, you be your best advocate and, and apply the sort of strategy or tool that you think will serve you best in that moment. Yeah. Good God, I could like talk about negotiation for 17 more hours. And in fact, I do over on my website (laughs) and you should check it out. And there's lots of videos that I create on this topic and we'll be doing a lot more on this soon. Do you want to negotiate with me right now? Not well, (laughs) I feel like every conversation we have is a bit of a negotiation. Not in a a bad way. No. An enjoyable negotiation. Yeah. We're constantly unpacking big ideas together. Which is a kind of negotiation. It's just two people talking. It's two. And we're trying to come to conclusions together. Mutually beneficial conclusions. Ooh, I like that. All right, y'all, give us your uh, best and worst negotiation stories. What mistakes did you make? I hope we're not alone in this. I hope we're not the only people who aren't perfectly raised to negotiate. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I want to hear about your negotiation fails. So send us a tweet at MomStuffPodcast or shoot us a photo of you negotiating. Show us your power <laughs> pose before you negotiate. I don't know. Show us your happy dance after winning a negotiation on uh, on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Ooh, or if you have a power blazer or something, like your negotiation outfit. Oh, yeah. What's your negotiation face look like? Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a photo on my Instagram. Um, meta moment here for the podcast. I have a photo on Instagram of me and Brad the Boo at a gas station right after I negotiated this deal with How Stuff Works. Oh. And I have the biggest smile on my face. We were in the middle of a road trip and I made this thing happen out of like a gas station in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in Kansas. And if you want to check out what a fresh negotiation face looks like, you can find it on my personal Insta. <laughs> but um, yeah, send us, tag us on your Insta when you negotiate before or after. Preferably not during. Yeah, that'd be bad. Like, in, like negotiation <laughs> selfie. People are like, wrap it up, Emily and Bridget. <laughs> and as always, you can send us a good old-fashioned email about your negotiation tips and tricks at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, 
parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.